Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 7 of this season of the Pike's Hill Podcast. I'm your host, Jonas Spiegelman. In this week's episode, we have an interview with members of the wrestling team about their season this year, and interviews with this year's candidates for student member of the board, Masa Far from Towson High, and Roa Hassan from Perry Hall. Hope you enjoy. In our first segment, Shanze Omer and Savinch Rakim Genova chat with Zaruk, Ahmad, Kia, and Christopher from the wrestling team about their experiences this year. Hello, and welcome back to the Paxwell Podcast. I'm Shanze, and this is Savinch Rakim Genova. Today, we're joined by the wrestling team. Would you guys like to introduce yourselves? Uh, my name is Zaruk Ramov. I'm also known as Zach. I'm 10th sophomore. My name is Ahmad Miller. I'm a senior, and my weight class is 152. Um, I'm Kaya Noble. I am a junior, and I wrestle 126. Uh, my name is Christopher Mitchell. Uh, I'm a senior, and I wrestle 220. Okay, so what got you guys interested in wrestling in the first place? Uh, me, personally, I like, I don't know, my friends were doing it, and I got, and I got my interest. Yeah, that's it. To be honest, I just, I love sports, and it's my last year. I was trying to be involved in school activities and in football. I got injured, so this motivated me more to put more into wrestling. Um, my brothers originally wrestled for the school about like eight years ago. So that pretty much not eight years ago, like dang, um, I believe like ten. But that motivated me to be wrestling for a long time. Like I've been wrestling for over sixteen years. And I grew to love this sport even more. Uh, it was just friends and stuff, so it just motivated me to do wrestling, and I started to actually like it. Okay, how long have you guys been wrestling? Oh, uh, well, um, this is my first year. I've really, uh, wrestled my past years, so yeah, it's my first year. This is my first year, too. I rem- remember going to like a camp in middle school, but I don't remember how long, and I don't really remember anything from it, to be honest. Um, I've been wrestling for over 16 years now, so. Uh, this is my first year. Okay, I know, Zach, you said that you just started wrestling. How's that been for you? Okay, so the most challenging, uh, aspect of this whole wrestling thing was cutting weight and, uh, eating healthy. Uh, sometimes I see myself overweight and I just, like, like, what the heck happened? And then the next day I just go wrestle, put in the work, and get back to my weight. By the way, I'm 160. I wrestled for 160. Yeah. Okay, speaking of weight, for all of you, how, like, describe what has been the most challenging aspect of wrestling for you, whether that's been weight or anything else. Um, what I have to say is, like, when, like, right before a match sometimes, like, especially because I'm a captain, I have to set an example for the team and, like, show that, Sometimes it's okay to be nervous, but don't be too nervous where you're too scared to go out there and do your best. And that's one of the hardest aspects for me because trying to put up a front for everybody while also trying to, like, calm myself down. Okay, what about you? i say the most challenging aspect for me has been trying to get better really quickly since it's my senior year and wrestling. All these guys that's wrestled for, like, five, ten years, state champions and all that good stuff. Uh, same for me. I feel like it's harder to learn moves and stuff. 
So I try to push myself and work harder after practice. Too. Okay, so what's the most dramatic weight loss or weight gain you've had? Oh, um, so one day I I one day I weighed in at one twenty six and I made weight. Then I decided to take everything I can eat out of my pantry and decided to eat it. And I gained about like six pounds from that. And I had to go back to eating healthy instead of eating all that junk food. To be honest, I haven't had I haven't had a most well, I haven't had a traumatic weight loss or weight gain experience yet. A traumatic weight loss for me was I started wrestling in at two twenty. I started at two twenty one, and right now I'm two oh six, I believe. So I lost a lot of weight wrestling. Uh, me personally, I haven't really experienced another dramatic weight loss or gain. I just, I'm just still in shape, getting healthy, good, yeah, all that good stuff. Okay, so because it's a sport that requires you to touch someone else and is physical, many wrestlers get injured. Describe any injuries you've had or have gotten from wrestlers. Wrestlers. Wrestling. Um, so there was this one match that I was wrestling at practice, and I kind of, like, messed up my leg, which made me, like, in extruding pain, and, like, it was hard for me, like, to move my leg and all that, but after a while and taking some pain medicine, I got through it, and I had to wrestle the next day, and I wrestled. To be honest, I'd say it was this one foot injury in practice, and it's still been bothering me for, like, eight, eight weeks, I should say, but, I mean, I'm sore after every practice, so... Some it lingers a lot. Uh, I have had uh, injuries from other sports, and it has carried on to wrestling. So I had a knee injury in football, and it carried on to wrestling, and I didn't stop to heal it. So it still hurts very bad. Okay, so I went to this one JV tournament, which was a good time. Um, I was just wrestling there. Uh, I won my first match, and the second I was trying to cut down to one fifty two. And try to wrestle there because Ahmad was not going to be going to JV because he was a senior. However, I got my lesson: don't, don't cut weight, and don't eat like eat your food and stuff because you don't want to be like me. Uh, I was wrestling, and then my second match. Um, then I was just like something happened to my leg, and then the guy took a shot, and then he like messed up my like head and my like leg my hand it's just it was hurting for like a whole week so i couldn't come to practice it's still so I'm, my body's still sore describe what practice looks like um so i usually run practice as the captain and we usually do this so we run around the circle we get our bodies warm then we go ahead and stretch out our arms and legs we do butterflies then we do bridges for our neck muscles to be stretched out and afterwards, I go ahead and tell them to get in a semicircle. Then I teach them to move. They go over that move for about a good like 10 to 20 minutes. And then we go back to semicircle. I pick uh, a couple of kids to show the move to see if they got it. If they didn't get it, I'll tell them to go uh, practice some more over there. And for the kids that did get it, I'll teach them a different move again. And then we will go over those like two to three moves all week. Okay, so how do you, how do you prepare for a match? Personally... Sometimes I might, I need to keep myself warm because if I'm cold, my, my joints are stiff. 
it's better to be warm before a match. So I might jump rope, listen to music a lot, and just get in that right headspace. Uh, I listen to music and walk, pace myself, and do like workouts that Kaya mentioned to warm up and stuff. Uh, I'm, I agree with Chris. I just like to listen to some loud music and just keep myself calm and just be ready for what's coming. How did your family feel about you wanting to wrestle? Um, my family was ecstatic because they saw that I was wanting to start early so I would have a way better future than with me doing nothing at home. So they absolutely loved that when they started wrestling and followed my brother's footsteps. Personally, they they supported it. That's usually how they are. So it was it was pretty it was pretty happy about it. Uh, my parents weren't too excited about it, but I liked it and I kept pushing myself to do it. So they just told me I could do it. Yeah, um, my story was basically the same thing. Um, I mean, at first it was okay, but then my mom was like, "What's up with you?" Because like I couldn't sometimes move. <laughs> Because my I was, like, really sore, and then my mom was, like, kind of worried. But, you know, it's going good. Okay, so COVID has had a big impact on many sports. So how has COVID affected you? Pretty much, uh, COVID has taken away the ability for me to get 100 wins and surpass my brother. And that is pretty, like, heartbreaking for me. And it's aggravating because I was, I really did want to surpass my brother because he got 100 wins. I seen the year, and Kobe kind of took a lot of my matches away. I mean, for the team, I'd say, it's took away a lot of wrestlers. So, I mean, the guys that's still there have to work harder to get their wins and because we have a lot of forfeits because the guys aren't there anymore. So, it's been it's definitely been harder and we have to work harder. I agree with Mike. It's harder for our team to win because we lost a lot of people. I agree with both of them. I feel like this whole, like, losing a lot of people made a big difference in our team. Like, all of us hard to like had to work harder for our wins because if, like, one of us lost, we were going to lose the whole game. So we had to work harder. And, yeah. Who has had the greatest impact on you as a wrestler? Who inspired you? Uh, I'm going to say Kaya, the team captain, and Ahmad. Uh, they push me every day to get better. And I'm the only 220 in, on our team, so I tried my hardest for the team. Um, my biggest influence is my brothers, and my uh, is my brothers and my one coach that I used to have when I was a little kid. His name was Coach uh, Reese, and he was one of the main reasons why I wanted to surpass my brothers. To be honest, I can't really pick one person. It's really anyone who doubts me or anyone who supports me, so. Oh, uh, yeah. Same for me. Um, my family really supports me and uh, my teammates, yeah. Okay, so people always talk about skills you get from playing sports. So what's, what are some skills you guys picked up from wrestling? Um, being able to, like, reacting, your reaction time is much faster you see things much quicker than usual, and you also have more endurance. I agree. Uh, my stamina has gone up tremendously, and I became stronger and faster. And like Kaya said, your reaction time comes very much quicker.
I'd say coordination, reaction time, having to perceive things quicker. You just got to pay attention to the little things a lot too. So, and discipline. Definitely. I think uh, my stamina went up by a lot because when I started this like whole year, I was just, I couldn't even last five minutes. I was just dead on the floor. But um, yeah, now I can last 20 minutes, I guess. 20, 30, yeah. Okay. Do you have plans to wrestle in college or any time in your future? Yes, I do. And I also want to wrestle for uh, USA in the Olympics. Uh, I'm going to just try to keep working hard. And if I do get a scholarship, uh, that would be a plus to go into college and stuff. But it's not, it's a big deal or not at the same time. So, Depending on how the progress goes with wrestling, will probably depend on that decision. If I place top three in regionals, most likely. Well, same as a mod, I would probably just look at the outcome. If I make a mistake somehow, uh, I'm probably going to continue it. If not, I'm just going to go the engineering path. Yeah. Okay, Kaya, so how do you deal with so much, So many of your members, you know, they don't... They're, Self-esteem. You've lost a lot of members because of COVID. How do you, like do that during competitions well um what i like to do is like i tell my wrestlers even though that like we don't have all that we can still win as long as you guys put everything on the mat and actually show that we can fight as long does not matter amount of people that we have on our team we literally have won like about like four matches with just like the eight of us and those teams had way more kids than us and we all did what we had to do and got the win by working to, by working hard at practice and working hard out there on the mat. Great. Um, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, you're welcome. Don't forget to tell your friends and family about the Pikesville podcast. Subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Also, keep up with the podcast to get updates on our Instagram at Pikesville Podcast. If you have any suggestions or requests to join the podcast team, feel free to email Mr. Smith at gsmith6 at bcps.org. Our feature segment this episode is a pair of interviews conducted by Owen Vento with this year's candidates for student member of the board. First up is Masa Farr from Towson High, followed by Rawa Hassan from Perry Hall. Hello everyone, my name is Owen Vento, and I'm here with Masa Farr, who is a, who is a student member of the board from uh, Towson High. And uh, thank you so much for being here. Uh, care to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. So thank you so much for having me. Um, my name is Masafar. I'm a junior at Towson High School, and I'm currently a SMOB finalist for the um, SMOB elections for 2020 to 2023. And I just wanted to come over to uh, Pikesville, introduce myself, introduce a little bit about my policies, who I am, what SMOB is, and just collaborate and really incorporate the student voice in my election, make sure that student voices are being heard all across the county and not just into cer- in certain zones and certain schools. Wanted to reach out to every single high school and middle school to showcase their voices and amplify the, amplify the voices and concerns of the students. So thank you so much for having me and giving me the opportunity 
to really showcase my policies and my vision for BSPS. Well, uh, you're very welcome. So as a student yourself, do you, have you noticed m maybe any problems that students in general or in a large group of students face that maybe th there could be something to change there? Yeah, 100%. So that's actually kind of the reason that I wanted to apply for student member of the board. So I just remember just seeing all these disparities across BCPS and that just affect like the whole student body, the student body as a whole, and also like situations um, and problems that affect certain specific schools. On. So I've like, if you're asking the specific issues that I've seen, I've seen a lack of a diverse and relevant curriculum. I see students that aren't being really prepared for the real world. Um, we have like college and career readiness, but what about the students that don't plan on going to college? What about the students that are plan on going into business after uh, after high yeah. school? And what about the students who, even who do go to college, how are they gonna pay for college? How are they, do they have any sense of financial mobility or financial literacy? Do they know how to pay taxes? Do they know how to pay um, rent? Do they know how, anything about the real world in general? And I think that's definitely something that needs to be addressed, as well as the curriculum itself. Um, it's not really inclusive of all backgrounds and all demographics across BCPS. I think that's something that definitely brought my, uh, like brought my attention to um, to that specific situation because I wanted to make sure that that's addressed and that we have inclusivity and relevance in our curriculum and that our students get the best quality of an education there is. I think also there's um, problems with like environmentally, like a lack of environmentally sustainable practices, uh, problems with an uh, like accountability system. I think the ac accountability system BCPS definitely needs to be adjusted, adjusted and changed for the better. I mean, we have so many cases of discrimination, harassment, bullying, and discrimination towards the POC community and the LGBTQ plus community that just aren't really handled in the best way. Um, I think we need to be, we need to have a, we need to strengthen our internal complaint system and hold teachers, administration, and students accountable for their actions with regards to discrimination, harassment, bullying, etc. So I think just an improved accountability system, a diverse and relevant curriculum, environmentally sustainable practices, nutrition as well, making sure that the nutrition we have nutritious meals in our school system and less processed foods, because for most students, their more main source of nutrition is comes from their school environment, due to home issues or any other issues they experience outside of the school environment. So we need to make sure that even if that's that's their main source of nutrition that's actually nutritious and not as processed also integration back into in-person learning i feel like i'm rambling i know but it's, it's like, fine yeah it's like so many issues that i would like to um address if selectors become on the board of education so to just summarize i think the rest of my policies integration back into in-person learning um Dive, um, a better accountability system, environmentally sustainable practices, the dress code, and so many other issues uh, and concerns that, you know, are brought, uh, have been brought to my attention by other students. So, the, wow, that's, that's a lot. Props to you. Thank you so much. I do that myself. I don't even think I could pick out all those little issues, but props yeah. to you for that. Uh, you. So, you have all these problems that you're picking out that you're noticing that that are negatively affecting education kids students even even maybe parents perhaps but what what really caused you to be like I'm going to run for student member of the board and I'm going to try to talk about this I'm really going to try to make the voice of not just myself but the voice of the students heard 
Yeah, um, of course, so I've actually been really, really passionate about reform and change since like middle school. So in middle school, I was super passionate about the dress code. I was like, this is misogynistic, this is targeted towards women, and there needs to be change within our school system. I was like, why can't we have off the shoulder tops? So why do, do our um, shorts need to be longer than our fingertips? It just wasn't making sense to me. And I felt like it was pr primarily targeted towards women. So I was already from a young age, really passionate about reform and change. And so at that age, I kind of brought it to my principal, kind of neglected. So, you know, that wasn't the best situation I guess or experience but I've always had that sense of passion with the main ambition to reform our public school system and so when I kind of got into high school I was in the law program and it was kind of more about reform change and just more in depth about like our current justice system and I had all these ideas I saw these disparities I've first hand uh, like firsthand dealt with these disparities like firsthand and so I was like okay, I keep complaining about this stuff. Am I actually going to do something to address it? And I know that I'm not the only person who, like, ha who's experienced all these, like, negative, um, like, this negative aspects of our public school system. So I was like, what can I do to address it? So in my junior year, I applied for the Board of Selected Students. And that was kind of part of the Baltimore County uh, Student Council. And I've also had, had a few internships and volunteered at the State Department just, you know, to kind of, um, indulge myself in that whole field. And then I was talking to my principal about it, how I was on the board of selected students to kind of voice my opinions and my concerns for BCPS. And she was like, I think it's time that you consider the student member of the board of education. That's already something that was under consideration since freshman year of high school during Josh Mahomes's um, campaign. And then I kind of followed Christian Thomas throughout his campaign. And I was like, actually, that's something been, that's been under consideration for me for like quite a while. So I was like, yeah, of course. And I'm a pretty shy person. Um, in my school so I was like might not be the best option and then I was talking to my friend she's like actually you're a very good public speaker you're you're fit for the job you're really passionate about this type of stuff applied for SMOB got got through to like the finalists and I was like I really 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 want to want to voice my opinions and want to voice the concerns of all students across BCPS so I think that's kind of how I got here I guess to summarize it all yeah Oh my god. <laughs> I'm kind of jealous, not gonna lie. <laughs> uh, so you were surrounded by sort of law and ideas of reform and change. Uh, do you care to elaborate on some of those experiences and how they really pushed you to be active in the community of reforms and reformations in education? Yeah. So in high school, I kind of went in in there with the intent of pursuing the medical field, but I got into the law program at Towson High School. So I applied to Eastern Tech for the Allied Health Program, and then I applied to Towson High School for the law program. Um, and I got I got waitlisted for Eastern Tech, but I got accepted to Towson High School. Went to Towson High, law and everything, law program and everything like that. We had classes, um, introduction to law, international law, constitutional law, and public policy. So I was like on that kind of track, I kind of shifted my perspective. I went into high school and I did Model UN and Model Congress, which are basically kind of like reform. We have all these issues and we address them through bills and pieces of legislation. Loved it, absolutely, like fell in love with the club. Um, I did speech and debate and I just loved arguing and debating about like these really important issues that affect our community, both nationally and internationally. So uh, I think that's kind of when I got really involved in the uh, political field. Um, I applied to become the executive board of my magnet program, which I did in freshman year. I was part of the principal's advisory board that I was, I didn't apply for that. I was kind of selected for that in my freshman year. And it was an amazing experience just to be able to contribute to my, like contribute and 
um, advocate and voice our concerns, but not like really on a district level, it's kind of just on a school level. So I've, I just loved it. And then, like I said before, experiencing those disparities, I wanted to bring that kind of to a county level. And I started, I applied for the Board of Selected Students for the Baltimore County Student Council. I volunteered for the State Department, volunteered for the Maryland Democratic Party. And then this summer, I have an internship for the U.S. Department of Education, the Government Accountability Office. So that's kind of, it just kind of happened. I didn't plan on it at all. I wanted to go into the medical field, wasn't even considering politics, but I was always from a young age passionate about it, just not really considering going into that specific field career-wise. Mm, it's crazy. <laughs> just how one, a few little small decisions could right. get you from, I don't know, being whatever in the medical field to, you know, you never made that decision. I wouldn't be here talking to you. You wouldn't be a yeah. finalist in uh, what I would consider an important position. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Uh, so, do you, for for the future, do you plan on going into sort of the politics of education? Is that just you yeah, found so, your thing there? Yeah. So I plan on kind of in my future. You know, thinking about life after high school is like crazy. It's even for me, and I think I have my whole life planned um i think that it's it's kind of nerve-wracking really stressful anxiety inducing just thinking about life after high school but i want to major in international relations or political science and career-wise i either want to go into congress and um i don't really know what i want to do in congress but something with i just want to present bills specifically for something like educationally um like educational reform of our like reform of our public uh, educational system and maybe even prison reform, or I could become a lawyer. I don't even know. But it's like something in the law field, something uh, with regards to education or prison reform, definitely. Ah, so there's a lot of students in Baltimore County public schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly feel prepared for that task of representing thousands of students of all different backgrounds, all different walks of life. You feel prepared? Honestly, like, to be honest, it's 111,000 students in Baltimore County alone, right? And just, I can't promise every single student, okay, I'm going to go to every single, of course, I'm going to go to every single school, but I can't say, I'm going to advocate for all your concerns in a one-year term, which something, even like during my interview, one of the questions was like for it to become the next student member of the board, one of my questions was, what are you most fearful, fearful about coming into the role? And my answer to that was, I'm really scared that I won't be able to represent every single student of BCPS. I feel like I'm gonna fail, even if I like represent thousands and thousands and thousands, but there's always that one student that I won't get to. And I'm like, okay, well, what about that one student? And I know I only have a one-year term and I have all these um, policies and, goals that I want to achieve, but I only have a one-year term, and I have 111,000 students to represent, and I'm only one person on the Board of Education. Um, So I think what I've been trying to do, because like, I, yeah, I kind of acknowledge the fact that I won't be able to represent every single student in BCPS, but what I can do is try my best. I mean, I can't just be like, oh, I can't do this. I'm not going to do this. So what I've been doing right now, um, just during my campaign, I've been visiting every single school in BCPS, middle school and high school students, or at least reaching out to them and telling them, I really want to come to your school, present myself, 
um, what small, I'll talk about what small is and my policy plans. And I want to, not only that, like, that's just going to be like the first 10 minutes of our meeting, but at the end, the whole point of the meet is to really voice the, to really see what your, really, what your students are concerned about, middle school and high school students. I don't want any voice to be neglected. That, because me as representative of, like, a student member of the board, my job isn't to represent myself. It's not to say, okay, I'm, I feel like this isn't doing well in the school system. My job is to represent the students and kind of establish that link between the Board of Education with the students. And I think if I'm not, if I'm not making that effort to talk to every single student in BCPS and talk to every single um, school, that I'm failing at my job. If I'm not trying, uh, trying my best to represent every single student across BCPS, than I am failing at, at becoming the student, the student member of the Board of Education. So what do I feel prepared? I think that I have a kind of like a plan on how I wanna represent the students of VCPS and I 100% will follow through with that plan and try my best to represent every single student. But it is overwhelming and it's all has to be done in like a one year term. Oh, stressful, I yeah. bet. Yeah. So what, are your main goals for next year if you are to get elected in hopes that you do get elected right uh, so, what are your main goals okay so i kind of have a whole list of goals and if i went over them it's gonna be like hours and hours um but i think the main ones is to diversify it, basically revise our curriculum to make it diverse and inclusive um inclusive of all backgrounds and as well also relevant making sure that our quality of an education adequately prepares us for our futures if we're not being adequately prepared for the future i feel like BCPS prepares us in a way that, okay, you guys have all this like academic stuff, you guys are prepared with knowledge, but knowledge about what? Of knowledge about math, how to do Pythagorean thing, which I, don't, don't get me wrong, I wanna include that in the curriculum. Uh, where, yeah, go ahead. Math is awesome, all right? I love math, it's my People favorite People diss math all the time, and math yes. is great. I love math, but I'm feeling like a lot of it is, is it really, rel is every single part of our curriculum relevant? There. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. And then, like, we come out of high school and I, we don't know how to pay taxes. We don't know how to pay rent. We don't know how to do all this type of stuff that is really, really important, in my opinion. What about you? Do you think it's important? Oh, yes. 100%. I had, you know, I, I'm surrounded by adults of a majority of the time. And right. I always hear them talking about, uh, uh, I gotta do my taxes. I gotta pay my bills. Gotta mortgage, whatever. I'm like, it's just it's like a whole nother language. Like, right? Like, I don't know what an, I I know like a very finite amount, like the right. very very basics of what only a few of those things are. But like on that, like I don't know how to pay taxes. I don't know how to like, I don't know what an an insurance rate is like. Right. They don't teach us that. And they're pretty important things to know, in my opinion. Yes. Um, yeah. And I think integration back into in-first learning, I'm going to ask you something as a student. Do you think that, like, so we, we know we had a whole year virtual. Do you think that we were kind of thrown back in and, like, we after experiencing, like, an abundance of mental health and learning loss? Uh, it's, it's a difficult question to answer because I, I feel like it varies from person to person. I know a lot, a lot of my friends feel like it's just like, whoa, just a rush of like whole learning, learning, right. learning, computers, internet, all the stuff. Yeah. I personally, I mean, I struggled a lot of times, not, 
personally with things dealing with my academics, but that's just me as a person. Right. I was I was able to focus better during virtual, you know. I have ADHD and like loud noises, a lot of background noise just messes me up, but I do know that in general, a majority of people do feel like it was just it was so hard. I know that there are people who've had to take care of like younger siblings, pets, uh, like who have so many things going on in the house that they can't really be attentive to school itself. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Like, okay. Um, I think that like they're also like in that sense we have like they had a lot of home issues and their quality of, edu- of an education virtually wasn't the best. So they kind of like had to experience a lot of mental health and learning losses as a result of a virtual year. And then this year, I don't think there's that much leniency in terms of test, uh, tests and academics. Like, you know, we're just kind of thrown back in. We're expected to learn. And of course, you know, that's that's really important. You know, we have to kind of catch up on that education. But there needs to be some leniency or some sort of program that kind of better prepares us or better like acquaint acquaints us with you know the current situation of the pandemic and like kind of integrated integrating us back into in-person learning i think something else is like communication between the board of education and the students i think that there needs to be that better a better link between the students and the board of education because the fundamental purpose of the board of education is to meet our needs and expectations like literally all the policies that they make are supposed to affect positively affect us like it doesn't affect them it, the policies that they make, it doesn't affect their quality of an education. It affects us. And the system is fundamentally designed to meet, to meet our expectations. Like I've been saying, like repeating this for 20 times, but yeah. Um, and I think that if we don't have a say in that with the policies and the board of education, I mean, we only have one student member of the board, but students can also join in on board meetings and they have a say, they can testify for the board. So I think we need to like have increase that. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I keep cutting you off. Oh, no, 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 no. You're good. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I know, oh, you're good. But, uh, yeah, I, I I would say myself, I've never talked to anyone from the Board of Education except, or anyone involved with it except you. Uh, but, okay. like, I've never had, like, surveys or interviews. Like, how do you think it's going at school? Do you think it's working? Right. Are there things we could change? I, I've never had that. And, I don't, they've never advertised anything about the Board of Education or any being, going to any event, saying anything ever at school. Yeah. They, right. They're just like, yeah, look at all these clubs, look at all these right. fun activities and sports. And while they are fun uh, and interesting, they're, they're also things that are of necessity that, need to be answered that need to happen mm-hmm. and i just don't think that they happen as well as they could be right 100 percent. and i kind of also think that ties into the opportunity gap between schools uh which is also another part of my policies um i think that there's like an opportunity gap between schools and bcps and like basically what that is is like a school like I don't know if you're familiar with Eastern Tech or like Towson High School or anything like that. Any type of school, they have like all the, like an abundance of resources and opportunities that are just sent in the school. And like a lot of the students are kind of really involved in BCPS and they have all these opportunities for success. But other schools that are kind of underprivileged in a sense, um, they don't have those same opportunities. They don't have evolved extracurricular activities. They don't have like all these 
like an abundance of opportunities and resources. So what that does is it sets those students who are at great schools, amazing schools, at a significant advantage to schools, uh, to students at underprivileged schools, because they don't have that same platform, that same foundation for success. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. I, I mean, the middle school I went to for sixth and seventh grade, let's just say it wasn't the greatest. It was not very good at all there weren't like a an abundance of nice like pikesville high the school i currently attend is is fantastic you know they have a a great many programs and options and extracurriculars and that can that can sort of lead you into various sort of worlds i guess various uh careers various topics but my like the middle school i went to for sixth and seventh grade it 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 really didn't have much of that at all. Right. There were the few sports here and there. There were like a a very small amount of clubs, but and and the thing is, it was a big school. It was a very big school, Franklin. It it at least when I went there, it had a lot of students, but there like wasn't that many options and things for that students. Most of us we just kind of went home and did our homework, and that was it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's just kind of it's kind of sad to see because, like, w- when you take a look back, if you're someone who goes to like maybe a nicer school, you you realize that there are people who get the same opportunities as you do, and you you really kind of feel bad for them because they're not. They may somehow have some interest for something like like the medical field or something, and their school might not even offer anything related to it and they can't further that interest at all. Yeah. And I think that kind of kind of ties into I, uh, everything you're saying. I'm just like repeating after you, like kind of ties into this. <laughs> so that kind of ties into like an inc- needing an increase in magnet programs and an increase in trade programs. So I think magnet programs for people who do want to go to college and who have like these specific interests that they really want to pursue and trade programs and like vocational programs for students who don't plan on going to college, maybe like business or like vocational programs in the sense like, oh, how about car repair or like these real uh, like real world skills that prepare us for our future. Um, I think also another thing that I'm really passionate about is mental health, mental health awareness. And basically, I think mental health is one of the most important things within our school system because they directly affect our quality of an education. If our mental health is bad, our our education is bad, our academics are bad, right? Kind of ties into one another. And there's a direct link between the two. So I think there needs to be adequate funding and equitable funding of school counseling offices and mental health services and connecting students and not just waiting for students to reach out to school counselors because most of the time they don't they don't feel comfortable they don't feel comfortable using their resources to make sure that their mental health is good and everything like that um i think we need school counselors to actually reach out to us and make sure that we're doing good and kind of basically establish that kind of safety between and that kind of safety and comfort between a school counselor and a student and allowing them to kind of confine them with uh confined with them confined in confide in them yeah um so yeah yeah, I, I agree. I, I mean, I I've seen like towards the beginning of the year they're like, "Hey, you're not feeling too great in the head. Come on down to the counselor's office." And and I'm like, um, "That's it. <laughs> that all it. we're getting. Just yeah. come on down. You're not feeling good. 
we'll talk. It's like, when, I mean, I have no experience with teaching or counseling anyone, but uh, it's like, when you're a counselor at a school with, especially a, a diverse school where, and high school where bullying and stuff occurs, you gotta sort of make the students the priority. I mean, the students are the reason that you have a job in the first place. Right. And if and if you're not like advertising yourself enough as a counselor, as someone who that that the students should feel comfortable talking to, I mean, then what's the point of your job anyways? Like right. all you can do at that point is like maybe help them with course registration and tell them or, or like course registration and career planning, but that's kind of it. I haven't talked with any of my counselors about anything else because mm-hmm. I don't know if if I should not. Like I don't know what they're they're comfortable talking about, what their sort of restraints are. Yeah, yeah definitely, one hundred percent. Also, something else that's kind of part of my policies. Um, is after school bus implementation for like students who are in ab magna programs they don't have that sense of tra- they don't have that transportation they may have transportation issues they might have problems at home and i think that that kind of them at a disadvantage to students who do have transportation who have a stable home life so i think after school bus implementation for students who are participating in extracurricular activities or um anything like b- between clubs sports anything after school I think we need to have that after school bus implementation to kind of support those students and give them a ride back home. And I'll give them the opportunity to participate in any school clubs or sports and, you know, don't not put them at a and disadvantage to other students. So, yeah. Oh, that would be amazing. It would. And because, uh, you know, a lot, there have been many times where I've missed out on the club that I'm currently recording this for the podcast because a lack of transportation because maybe a family member is sick maybe they're just not around because i currently do not drive yet it it's soon it's gonna happen soon yeah but as of now i don't drive and like and i want to be able to go to my my clubs every every week and like come home safely and not have to like walk home which i never have had to do but yeah. You know, like I want to be able to attend as much as possible because it's because these are sing- these are uh, things that interest me. And if I don't have anyone to bring me home, then I can't really go in the first place. Right. 100%. Yeah. After school transportation for like extracurriculars would be very, very nice. Yeah. Uh, What do do you feel that there's anything as of right now or as of recent years that you you don't know if you can really control, I guess, uh, you know, have a say in? Because, like, things like start times are... we Scientists and researchers have known that start times, like, for high schools and stuff, start way too early. But then yeah. there's the whole scheduling conflict with elementary schools. Right. You exactly. feel like that could be something that might be more difficult for you to talk about. 
100%. I think that's literally what I was about to say, the start times. Um, something that's been kind of when I was talking to students, they're like, we should have later start times. And I was like, I 100% agree. I think that I, I should not be getting um, up at 5 a.m. in the morning. And even as a high school student, I sleep later than elementary school students. Why am I getting why am I getting less sleep and waking up earlier? Whereas middle school students who go to sleep at what, 8, 9, um, are waking up at 9, 9 a.m. Um, so I think that was something that I really, really was passionate about addressing. So then I kind of did some more research and I was like, okay, well, if we push back the, uh, uh push back like middle school, elementary school start times, or push, I guess like, you know, making them earlier, basically. Um, okay. They get out earlier. There's parents are at school. Their high, their older siblings are also, uh, their parents are at work and their uh, older siblings are at school. So how are they going to get home? Who's going to take care of them? That's kind of something that like that presents an issue. And that's go definitely going to be something really, really tough to address. And I'm still doing more research on it, like kind of looking into more like uh, other options, I guess, and seeing if any other county in um, the nation is kind of doing that or how they've done that. But that's definitely something that's going to be really, really difficult to address. But something that needs to be addressed, even if it's not through like earlier start times, but we need to address like how high school students are waking up tired and exhausted for school. And that also affects their quality of an education. So even if it's not with um, later start times for high school students, it's something that has to be addressed 100%. Yeah. I just know so many people who every day I see it, every day when I walk into school, <laughs> I just see people that look like they have been awake for like five days. That yeah they're just like they look like zombies or something they're they're yeah. just like they can't stay awake like and i see so many kids in classes falling asleep all the time right and but you know there's a whole thing with you know health but then there's also you know everything affects each other it's like dominoes everything right. one thing leads to another and and it's really, I bet it's really difficult for you, especially to, you know, have to find workarounds. It's, but a yeah. lot of what you do is probably problem solving, if yeah. I'm correct. Yes, it is. Yeah. So, yeah, wow. I think also another thing that, like, is going to be really, really hard to accomplish is, like, not eliminate, like, holding, um, increasing mm -hmm. accountability with regards to discrimination. Cause my biggest thing, a big thing of my plans is like, you know, kind of like addressing the discrimination in cases of harassment, of harassment, making sure th uh, those people are being held accountable. But what that requires is like a deep cultural shift within our like whole administration, staff, students. And that's really hard. I can't say I know one year term, I'm gonna eliminate discrimination, eliminate bullying, address all this stuff because I only have a one year term and it's really, really tough to do. But it's something that's really, really a big part of my plans because it's something that affects a large majority of BCPS students. And a large majority of BCPS students have have, uh, have kind of talked to me about that, about how there's been cases of harassment and bullying, um, discrimination that just aren't being addressed and people aren't being held accountable for it. But I kind of have like a list of goals um, and policies that I would implement to kind of achieve that. But it's really tough to kind of do that deep cultural shift within our public school system. Yeah. Yeah. I think it could possibly even like require a whole cultural shift in the state, maybe yeah. even the country. Cause right. there are just so many 
things that are specific to various races, ethnicities, cultures that yes, may be problematic, but like it, there's it's widespread. So it's really like that's something that I don't even think like the president could do. Yeah, right. Exactly. That would require major convincing and or incentive like hey stop being a racist and you get free money you get a free car (laughs) one very final question do do you have any advice for students who really for students in general but also students who want to who truly want to make the changes happen right uh, use your voice. You have, I know like you seem, you might feel really, really small in comparison to like these, this board of education or a public school system or like you might feel very small, like limit, um, like you have all these limits put upon you because you're just a student. You're under 18, you're or like 18 maybe because of seniors, but you might feel really, really small in comparison to other things, but you do have a voice and you, we, as the student body, need to take control of a system designed to meet our needs and expectations, literally designed for us. And if you have, just reach out. You can even contact me if you want. If you want to make change, reach out, make those connections. Really, if you're really, really passionate about it, you can get it done. You can look at any platforms to voice your concerns, to advocate for yourself. Um, go to board meetings, maybe. To contact me if you want to get involved in like the campaign or anything like that. If you want to get involved with ECPS or any of those opportunities. So, yeah, just get involved. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> you have a voice. Use it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you to Miss. Masafar for uh, joining me today, sharing a little bit about what she does. Uh, thank you. Uh, definitely uh, very useful information, at least in my opinion. And uh, yeah, name's Alvento. Uh, thank you for listening. And thank you for having me today. It was such a pleasure to talk to you. Literally one of my favorite interviews by far. Um, and I really, really appreciated to be given the opportunity to kind of come and speak into Pikesville students. Thank you so much for listening in. This was amazing. Make sure to tune into the podcast because lit- quite literally one of the most amazing interviews I've had thus far in my campaign. So yeah, thank you so much. Hello, everyone. My name is Owen Vento. Welcome to the Pikesville Podcast. Today, I'm interviewing student member of the board candidate, Roa Hassan. Uh, Hey, Pikesville. Would you like to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and uh, what exactly you do? Yeah, of course. Um, Hey, Pikesville. My name is Roa Hassan. I am a junior at Perry Hall High School, and I'm running to be your next BCPS student member of the Board of Education. So basically on the board, I would be able to make almost every single major educational decision right here in BCPS, things that directly impact us, like where our money's going, what I can, you know, what we see in, in our school buildings, things like infrastructure in our, our school buildings, things that, you know, we learn and, you know, amending that curriculum. So that's those are positions that I would be able to have and represent all 111,000 students on the Board of Education and take your voice as well as mine on the Board of Education as your representative. Um, So a little background, um, I did say that I was from Perry Hall High. 
Um, I'm my class president, which is super amazing. I, I love I love my class senate. They are so amazing. They're so supportive. I can't thank them enough. Shout out to them. Um, but I'm also the co-founder of my own organization called Make Up Maryland, which is aimed to amplify the youth voice. Um, it's centered on youth organizing. So we've organized two racial justice rallies. Um, so that also makes me an organizer and a huge activist. And um, it's something that I'm super lucky to be able to be a part of. Um, and I'm also, I also serve as um, a couple of organizations' legislative affairs coordinator. So sometimes that means I'm reaching out to legislators and being like, hey, um, students want representation on this bill. Like, where is the student representation on that? Um, so I'm really lucky to be well-versed in, you know, what our students want to see in more policy-heavy stuff. Um, so that's super amazing. And I'm super lucky to have that experience. So those are like, I think the, like the three most important um, parts of that, like parts of my experience. Um, but there's also so much that I'm sure, I'm sure we'll discuss as we go. Wow. So you are involved in various organizations that all seem to be somewhat related to students and representation of students. Uh, can, can you, uh, sort of talk about, uh, what, really specify what exactly your main goals are as candidate for student member of the board? Yeah, so within my campaign, I'm definitely, I'm focused a lot on making sure that I'm representing as many people as possible. That was, you know, and that is what I'm focusing on with every single part of my platform. Things like diverse representation, making sure that we're talking about diversity, making sure that we're celebrating and putting diversity in the center of our interactions in curriculum talking about mental health and making sure that we're actually providing the resources we need to succeed. Things like having, you know, recentering um, school social workers into the center of our mental health resources, school psychologists and increasing the amount of those, having those resources that are specific to um, people of color and LGBTQ plus students and first generation immigrants, because the reality is that they experience mental health way differently than a lot of other people do. And we have to acknowledge that and we have to be guaranteeing that. And we have to guarantee that, you know, people of color and members of the LGBTQ plus community are offered as many resources as they possibly can to succeed because they also, they deserve to succeed. I mean, each of us here, you know, in BCPS, at Pikesville, at Perry Hall, we all deserve to, to have a chance of success and we deserve to have a system that hears us and that listens to us, which is why I'm addressing sexual sexual assault and school safety from the root. We're addressing really heavy topics, but we're addressing it in a way that's that's important. We're addressing it in a way that holds empathy for, uh, for other people and in a way that hears them. Things like making sure that our school systems are actually equitable and that they're able to do the things that we need, that we're giving money to schools that are literally falling apart in regards to their infrastructure more than we're giving money to schools that are doing really well in comparison. Making sure that we're teaching diversity and teaching modern curriculum and making sure that we're actually learning how to do taxes. Cause I don't know about you, but I have no clue how to do taxes. I have no clue what a credit score is. You could tell me what a credit score is. And I'm like, Oh yeah, like you need that to buy a house. Right. But I also like, don't know what the numbers mean. Yeah. I don't, I don't know either. Right. And it's such like, it's such a huge issue because like we're graduating and we don't like, we don't have the knowledge that we need to actually go out into the world. 
So that's a huge, huge issue that I want to address. And I want to address that. And I want to address, you know, like making sure that we're learning how to get involved. Um, one of a conversation that I had recently with a couple of students was that, you know, like as much as we have like extracurriculars, a lot of times, you know, like different schools may have less extracurriculars or they may have a student body who doesn't know how to get involved or um, like especially on the board level. Um, the way that student involvement works like on the board level is so different because it's always the same students testifying. It's the same students going to talk to the board. And I will be so honest, I'm definitely a part of that system. I've gone to testify to the board a total of four times. I've spoken to the board four times. And each time I've brought other people's voices with me. Um, the second most recent um, public comment slash testimony that I gave was literally quoting other students because I knew that I had the ability and I had the means to go to the board, but I didn't want to do it. Like I didn't want to bring my own voice like by myself. So that's what I'm honestly taking with me with my campaign is bringing those student voices, bringing what we truly deserve to BCPS, bringing that power and that ammunition of the students, because it's not just my power, it's everyone else's. And that's something that I want to take. And I want to take those stories and I want to be the representation that I know I'd wished for a couple years ago that I wished for a year ago. Um, and I want to be that representation for BCPS. So we're, we're talking a lot about what the future can be, how amazing it can be, how all of us students can get representation in various important subject matters. Let's, let's dive a little bit into the past. Uh, you, you, you're really involved with organizations and student representation. How did you get to not only that, but also running for student member of the board? That's such a good question. I'm so glad you asked that. So um, I actually tell the story to anyone who asks me this, but when I was in eighth grade, I was really, really lucky to be invited to go to the SMOB voting forum. So before we had a general election, it used to be select students got invited. Um, I was so lucky. I was super involved in my middle school. I went to Hereford Middle School at the time. Um, and I was super involved and I would always like talk to my administrators and talk to people who were around me about, you know, things that I was upset of from like from seeing. Um, I like I at, oh, my God, when I was in middle school, I experienced a lot of racism um, and it was definitely something that I grew really, really tired of. And it was something that I didn't want to hear. And I was like, I didn't know what to do because I was always defensive and I always had to be on the defensive side. Um, so I would bring that up and I, I talked about it a lot. Like that was my one thing that was like, like, it's not fair that I'm the only person talking about this. But if anyone's going to talk about this, then like I have to do it. And I have to, you know, make sure that we're talking about racism, making sure that we're, you know, talking about these things. And um, I guess I, I was heard and they were like, you know what, you should represent, you should be one of the representatives for Hereford at the small voting forum. So I went and I remember I was in eighth grade, I was 13. Um, and it was it was definitely one of those like core memories of mine. Um, but I remember looking up at the smobs, looking up at the smob candidates and I, I knew. And I like it clicked for me instantly. And I was like, I wanna be that. I wanna be there. I wanna be in that position. I wanna be fighting for students. I wanna be bringing my voice and my passion. And I wanna be giving that speech to the students. And I want like I want to really push for change and I want to push for so many good things and I want to be that voice and I want to learn how to be that voice. Um, so that was definitely where I learned. That's where it started for me. That's where everything started. 
And I, I knew, and I was like, I'm going to be the small, I'm going to, I'm going to apply. Originally I was going to apply junior year and that was it. And whatever happens happens. But last year, one of my, um, my English teacher who is super amazing actually encouraged me to apply as a sophomore. Um, and when I tell you, it was the, one of the scariest things that I've done, like apply as a sophomore, knowing that no sophomore has ever been named a finalist. And then I get an email a few weeks later after I submit the application and it's like, you have an interview. And automatically I'm, I'm like, I'm emotional. I, I like, I'm like, oh my God, I'm here. Um, and, and so I did the interview and I definitely was not the strongest candidate. And I understand that. And honestly, I'm really glad that I've had that experience because it taught me so much. And so from there, you know, after I applied as a sophomore, I immediately reached out to the swab at the time, Josh Mahamza. And I was like, I want constructive criticism, criticize me like crazy. Like, I want to be better. Like, I want to learn how to represent. I want to fight for students, but I also want to know, like, what did I do wrong? Like, how can I help? How can I support you as this mob? Like, what can I do to, like, to learn how to represent better and learn how to strengthen who I am as a, as an advocate and as a representative? Um, and, and then I served as his aide for the rest of the, the rest of his term. So I think it was from like February until, I think it was actually May, but, um, cause it was, until he graduated, um, even though your term like stays for a little bit longer. Um, but I, like I, he taught me so much. He taught me so much about how the process works, um, how stressful it is, but also how worth it it is. Um, and then the next year, um, or I guess a few months later, um, I also had the opportunity the entire time, of course, I was doing my own things. Like I was organizing rallies. I was, you know, founding Mike Up Maryland. I was, you know, doing all the extracurriculars that I do at Perry Hall. Um, but I think the most substantial thing that got me here, like in this position, in this chair, talking to you, Owen, is that, you know, I had amazing smobs in the past and I learned from them. I worked for Christian over the summer um, and he honestly taught me how he, he sort of broke the barrier um, for, for a lot of like smob expectations. Um, and he always would be like, like, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. Like, as long as you're representing the students, as long as you're confident in that, you don't like, do not take everyone else's opinion so seriously, as long as you know you're representing. Um, so that was something that, that he taught me. And I think he definitely changed how I look at student advocacy for the better. Um, so I've been able to take his voice and take Josh's voice and take everyone who's ever, who I've ever had any sort of interaction with, take so many students' voices from the rallies that I would host and they would come and they're from BCPS and we would just talk and they really influenced me to be where I am today and take their power with, with mine and to, you know, transform my voice into a voice that represents so many other students. Um, so that's sort of what led me to to be here and to have that confidence to to be here and talking to you because I, I know that I know that it's worth it and I know that I'm representing more people than I could ever imagine. Um, hopefully, I'll get to meet more of them, but um, that's definitely how I got here. Yeah. So you're very heavily in advocacy. Let's say pre eighth grade. Was there something that you were more bent on like really going for 
other than like social justice and student advocacy, was there like something different or were you always sort of into that topic? Oh, that's a good question. So I think social justice has always been huge for me, um, especially because Hereford was predominantly white um, and I'm not white. <laughs> um, so um, that was that was just something that I constantly experienced. But I don't actually fully think I got like immersed in it, like immersed in advocacy until seventh grade. Like I always had this very like passionate, like these passionate ideas, but I don't think I could apply it until like seventh grade. Um, I think that's when I started to feel super confident in my voice. And it was actually after the Parkland shooting um, that I like I realized that I love advocacy. It was um, I'm not sure if you guys had it, too, um, but I know that a lot of schools did, but they had like a sit in. Um, like in place of the walkout after the Parkland shooting. Um, and it was like nationwide. And it was like, I'm not, do you remember that? When was it exactly? It was like, um, oh, that's a good question. It was so, it was my seventh grade year. So are you, are you a sophomore right now? I'm a junior right now. Oh. So if you're a sophomore, then it was your sixth grade year. Yeah. So it was after the Parkland shooting. And I, like, I, I remember like reading the headline or like someone telling me the headline. I don't even remember how it happened. Um, and automatically I was like, we need to do like something. Um, and I like, I know that my student, my school student council, they were like, well, we don't really like want to do a walkout. Let's do a sit-in. So they planned that. And I literally brought in a sign that was like, I, like I brought in a sign. It was full on like, you know, protest sign style. And I was like, like someone has to be talking about this. Like, we're not just gonna like get out of class and just sit. Like, let's like let's talk about this. Let's open up this discussion. Um, so I was super interested in school safety, and then you know like I think around the same time I was interested in racial justice and social justice because um, I I think that's where it started for me, um, and just making sure that you know like I, and I said it then and I'll say it now like we deserve to walk into our schools without being fearful of what happens. So um, I like, I think that's something that, that I, I've pushed for when I, I pushed for when I was in seventh grade. And, and like, I knew that I wanted to be an advocate after that one sit-in and I brought in the sign and I knew, and I was so passionate about it. And then, you know, like after dealing with everything that's, you know, ever happened to me, like social justice wise and like racially and the racism, um, like I, I knew and I was like, I have a voice and I deserve to use it. And I, I deserve to take other people's voices with me and also just amplify their own, like amplify their voices. Because as much as I say, I'm going to take their voices with my own. I feel like that assumes that I'm going to be the only one talking because I'm not. Um, and that's something that I think most definitely I will push for as mob, just making sure that you know, my voice isn't the only one on the board. Like I'll be able to bring students in to testify, bring students in to meet with board members and conference with board members and, and talk to central office staff because a lot of times they don't talk to students unless they're in their family. So bridging that connection is really, really huge. Yeah, the whole not having to walk into school being fearful thing kind of, it hits me because I, I went to Franklin Middle School in six and six in my sixth and seventh grade years. And let's just say it wasn't all like roses and flowers and amazingness. It definitely, I mean, I don't know about it now, but at least when I w went there and when my older sister went there, 
it wasn't like really the greatest school at all. There was a lot of uh, fights every every single day. Every single day there was a fight, and like very often there were like shooting threats and stuff. Yeah. And you know what? What kind of makes it even more sad is the fact that like myself and a lot of other people are now very desensitized to it because it just happened like those kinds of threats and rumors just happened so often and uh so and that gives me a question uh in terms of security of schools what would be your plans for that okay i can answer that one so um, I actually, I was talking to a student and we were talking about like whether or not we should have metal detectors in schools. Um, and so my thing is, I I don't want to make school feel like a prison. I don't want you to walk in and be like, oh, I have to get patted down or oh, I have to walk through a metal detector. Like you shouldn't have to go through that. Um, and, you know, I've heard a lot of people say we need another SRO. We need another school resource officer. Um, and as much as I think that, you know, like the SROs that we have currently you know, like they're not, they're there, but I also don't think that adding more of them is going to solve any problem. Um, like, I don't know about you, but I've never, ever, ever met an SRO who talks to students or who talks to students after a fight happens, like, like, hey, like, do you want to talk about what just happened? Mm. Like, it's always just like, get them off the other person and then that's it. And they're also not trained to deal with teenagers I mean, we're teenagers and a lot of times our SROs are not trained to deal with teenagers. They're, you know, they're trained to handle adults. Um, And that's something that I don't think is fair to our students. And, you know, Baltimore County has an incredibly high incarceration rate for um, a lot of our students of color who get into fights. And that doesn't mean that it's the student's fault. I think it just means that we have a system that you know, is, is inequitable and is unfair to um, to every single student. So, and I, I mentioned this before, but I really think that we need to be addressing school safety from the root because there's a reason these things happen and we can't just band-aid it by putting another SRO in schools. We have to be able to address it from the root and we have to be able to say, okay, why is this happening? Which means adding anger management to counseling resources, which means holding, like, yes, we should be holding people accountable who harm our schools. They should be held accountable. And I strongly believe that because we can't we can't put hundreds of thousands of students in danger over one student. And I support that fully and I support that accountability. But it's also like, how do we prevent this from happening in the first place? Right. Like, how do we provide like long term solutions like mental health and anger management and counseling and actually reaching out to students who are struggling in regards to that? And, and, you know, supporting them so that, you know, this doesn't even happen in the first place. Um, it means supporting legislation that prevents gun and weapon violence in schools, um, because I do have the power to support those types of legislation on the board. And I, I do have the power to go down and testify at Annapolis and have them hear the perspective of BCPS and of the, of the Board of Education and of the students. Um, so I think that's, that's honestly, like, really, really important. And I think those are my biggest things regarding physical school safety. Um, regarding like how we handle like fights when they happen, gun threats when, when they happen, because you are right, we are desensitized. I know personally, like I go to Perry Hall, so we've had a lot of, we've had a lot of gun threats recently. We've had um, fights that have led to macing by our SROs. Um, and it's scary. 
And it's like, we're all going through like a form of trauma and we're all kind of desensitized to it. So definitely making sure that we're actually like providing like, like that. You do, do you know those like Alice drills that we did yep. um, or like still do sometimes? I like, I think we need to reevaluate those mm-hmm. um, because I don't know about you, but I don't think I've ever, like, I haven't done that all year. I haven't done an Alice drill all year. And, you know, I think also like, I don't think it's fully effective. I think we need to be examining how we can make it better and how we can improve upon that. Yeah, I, I think we only did it like twice this year. And the thing is, because it's like a drill, no one really is acting with urgency at yeah. all. Yeah. And also, I'm like, not don't saying that. How, like, oh, yeah. sorry, keep going. I'm not saying that we should ever have any real guns in the school. Like, yeah. but what I've seen, I've seen, I saw a news report once where. Some, like, adults, like, that they bring in, like, trained adults have uh, prop weapons. Like, they're colorful, they're bright, so they don't look real. But it makes it feel much more real when there are people that you don't recognize in the building holding what look to be, like, guns. And, of course, that would scare a lot of people. But, I mean, I think an actual real gun and dead bodies in, like, all the floors would be much more scary. And yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like the drills do definitely need reevaluation because not mm-hmm. all of them, and a lot of the guidelines they have don't make sense. Like leave all your stuff behind. Uh, yeah. I mean, okay. <laughs> yeah. I actually like this conversation a lot because I think that like, I love looking at, at like those Alice drills in different perspectives. Cause I haven't done one of those in a while. Um, but so, like, for me, honestly, like, I feel like we don't talk about how, like, oftentimes, like, schools are more likely to get, you know, like, attacked by someone in their own building. It's yeah. not like, it's not like, you know, like, sometimes it does happen where, like, an intruder walks in um, and they have a gun and, and they, you know, open fire on students. And sometimes it does happen like that. But more often than not, it's students who, you know, like, 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 it's always students, um, which doesn't mean that it's, again, not, it's not like I'm never, ever, ever going to put blame on one single student. I'm never, ever going to put blame on those students. But I also think like, like when we're approaching these drills, we can also look out for warning signs and we can also be able to like say and be able to, you know, talk about that and be like, okay, um, you know, this student shows warning signs of this. Like, why don't we sit down and just have a chat? just talk about that, provide those resources and be able yeah, to prevent yeah. those issues from the root. Um, because a lot of times it's an issue that's outside, like outside of the school building that we can't see and we have to be able to take the time to see it. And that's the only way we're ever going to get real change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. School security. Back to my middle, my first middle school, we only had one resource officer. Yeah. Middle schools, I think, have one and then high schools have two, I believe. Yeah, and there were more people in my, at Franklin Middle when I went there than there are here in high school. Yeah. One one person to protect, I don't know, hundreds, maybe even thousands or something. Like, it would make a lot more sense to have, like, a resource officer in, in like, each little section of the school. I mean... 
it, it just makes more sense than to have one guy going around doing whatever. And uh, on the mental health topic, what what are your thoughts on? Because I feel like a lot of times, how would you go about changing things so that the mental health would be, I guess, improved or there could be better resources for that? Oh, that's a good question. So, um, so I was actually like, I just saw this thing, um, this Instagram post, and it was how it was talking about how MCPS, Montgomery County Public Schools, um, they are trying to pass more school psychologists in the schools um, and school social workers, and it would only take a very tiny, tiny, tiny amount of their budget. Like it, it doesn't take that much money to, you know, put resources in for mental health. Um, so something that I'm pushing for is, you know, mental health. I, I call them mental wellness, but I like when I posted it, I, t- I called it mental health and recovery days um, because they are mental health and recovery days. And they would just be like installing, first of all, installing excuse mental health absences. So if you need a mental health day, then, you know, you can say, I need a mental health day. You could tell your school that and it would be an excused absence. So it wouldn't hurt you. It wouldn't stop you from going to prom. It wouldn't stop you from participating in sports or anything like that. It would just be like, I need a mental health day, which is very a very, very valid thing to say. I know so many times I've had to take mental health days where I just like I had to take a break. I had to, you know, like like I like I'm sure everyone misses those async Wednesdays. Um, and like we've definitely seen a lot of students, you know, like take mental health days or take days off because like we were so reliant on having like a day in the middle of the week where it's just like, let me recover from the first half of this week. And I think that's super important to to reinstill like the idea of even if it's one per quarter, even if it's two per quarter, just having those days where we can take a minute. If, if, you know, if excused absences are how we do that, then that's how we do that. There's currently legislation in the Maryland General Assembly, um, and they're actually trying to get that passed for every school and every school board in Maryland. At least, I think they said at least one per quarter, um, but hopefully I'll be able to do at least two. Um, but then also, like, you know, asynchronous countywide recovery days. I don't know if I can do that in person or virtually or, like, you know, at home and just call it an async day, um, because I think the Maryland Board of Education just passed that it was like, oh, you can't really have like an async day at home anymore because it doesn't count as a school day. Um, And I also don't want to add like a whole week or two to the end of the year because that's stressful too. Um, So even if it's just like, okay, like study hall, like today you have the chance to, you know, go seek, you know, like counseling support if you need it. There would be excess counselors um, in a school building and you can seek help. And you can, you know, talk to the resources you need. And it would also be like a chance to explore some things you're passionate about, things like extracurriculars, things like, okay, like I need to get a job. Let me talk to someone who was talking about this job nearby. Um, And it would also be like, okay, I am behind. I'm not doing well in this class. And I haven't had time to be able to, you know, go visit my teacher. Let me take this day and spend part of the day studying or like trying to understand this topic. Um, on those days, there would also be quarterly well-being checks, which would basically just be like, okay, like, where are you at mentally, emotionally, where are you at with that? And how can we support you? How can the school support you? How can your, your school personally support you? 
Um, and, you know, it would be confidential. It would be something that's, you know, between you and, you know, the mental health resources in your school. Um, but it would, it would also improve, you know, how much we know about, about our students, because we, like, we all know that so many students experience mental health struggles. Um, but sometimes we also need to know, okay, what can we do? Like, what do you need? What can, like, how can I support you? Do you need someone to talk to? Do you need, you know, like some help with, something you're struggling with, things like that. Um, things like adding social emotional learning practices, like in the classroom, in our curriculum, being able to say that we're learning something, but also to be able to say, okay, I'm learning this, but I'm also able to voice that I'm struggling and that this feels like a lot. Things like that, things that things like, you know, taking a break um, with curriculum for, for a day, just to like review. Things like, like talking about how mental health does impact what you learn. Like it does impact how you grow as a student and as a person and, you know, incorporating that into discussions that we have like in our classrooms. And I, I talked about redefining the role of school social workers and psychologists. So I'm not going to go over that just because I feel like I've already rambled enough, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> but also like making sure that we're teaching mental health as best as we can. Like as much as we talk about, you know, like mental health with our friends, sometimes, you know, like you don't know how to deal with with you know someone when they come to you and and tell you that they're experiencing really negative feelings, um, feelings of you know depression and all of, you know a lot of really negative things. So being able to have that education and being able to to know how to you know deal with that within yourself and within you know your friend group or the people around you um, would be incorporated in health curriculums, but also in mental health seminars. Um, and I think those are most of my, there's, I actually have like a lot of, um, you know, like concepts on how to deal with mental health. So for anyone listening, if you want to check that out, um, my Instagram is at Roa for Small, but, um, <laughs> but those are definitely some of the most important things that I'm pushing for. All right. I got, I think one last question for you to shift it back to you yourself. What are uh, a couple of the obstacles you've been facing uh, throughout your journey of becoming a uh, SMOB? Oh, oh, that's a good question. Oh, my goodness. Um, So I think the one thing that I've been experiencing recently, um, these past few weeks, it's definitely... um, So I, I, I was joking about this, but I was like, nobody ever prepares you for how real this process is. Like, you know, it's real. And I I was very, very lucky to have known Josh and Christian who've been through this process before. Um, but no one tells you how you, you know, like how stressful it is um, because you do commit so much of your energy into it because you want to do well, because you know, it's not just about you anymore. And you have to understand that, like, and this is something that I, I think I always knew, but it's definitely like reiterated now it's very much a very real process and it's something that matters so much. And it feels like, it feels like there's a lot on the line when, you know, regardless of the outcome, um, BCPS is going to have an amazing student advocate and I'm always going to fight for the student voice. And I can promise that. Um, But it's definitely, it's definitely been difficult balancing, you know, the anxiety and the, um, oh my goodness, I have to meet with these schools, which I love meeting with schools, but it's also like, like you look at, like, I look at my calendar and I'm like, okay, what schools am I meeting with today? What am I doing today? Do I have time to, 
catch up on my homework? Do I have time to do this? And it's definitely a lot. It's a lot of anxiety. I'm going to be very honest. It's not, it's not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing to do, but I also know that this is going to prepare me if I become elected. This is going to prepare me for work on the board. This is going to prepare me for, you know, fighting for students on a much more massive scale. And this is, you know, and I love, I love doing it. I love meeting with students. I love talking. I love being here. I love, you know, talking on the podcast. I love, you know, meeting with students and connecting with them and being able to hear their powerful voices. But also, like, it's it's definitely not an easy thing. And it's a huge, huge, huge learning process because um, it's learning how to balance it. It's learning how to take, like, your needs, like, as a person, like, my human needs as a person, which means sometimes taking a break. Um, and, you know, being able to tell myself, like, I got, like, I put in so much effort. I put in so much energy. I put in so much care into fighting for students. I'm allowed to maybe take a nap sometimes. And I will say that I haven't taken a nap in a while. Um, but it's also, like, like just being able to take the time and value yourself, which is something that I know a lot of students go through with their own experiences, being able to take a break and not have that imposter syndrome and, like, you know, feel like, they're either like, oh, I don't even know how to word this properly, but, you know, like taking a break and knowing that, you know, like everything is fine <laughs> is something that I know that a lot of students experience a little bit of that imposter syndrome too, especially because like, like this is the first year that we've had a general election in person and it's been like this and we've been able to visit schools and it's monumental. And I hope that, you know, the next mob and I'll hopefully be pushing for the next mob to be able to do so much more and to meet with so many more students and create that infrastructure now and create those connections now so that the next mob can, you know, do so much more. But it's definitely, it's definitely a learning process. I will say that it's a huge learning process. I wouldn't have it any other way, um, but it's definitely, I'm learning. I'm learning as I go. I'm learning with the students, just as they're learning about me. I'm also learning about how I'm balancing all of this just so that I can make sure that I'm, I'm fighting with every amount of energy that I can give and make sure that I'm fighting in the best way that I possibly can. Mm. Uh, uh, I interviewed your other candidate and both you and her have just like, gosh, like, I don't know how you do it. That's like It's my definitely a lot, reason. but I think it's so worth it. And um, I think, I think this is going to be a powerful election. I will say that. <laughs> yeah. It's like my current, what you're dealing with is like sort of my current situation, but like times like a thousand. Yeah. <laughs> no, because it's something that everyone like experiences and it's like you do so much, like even if it's just schoolwork, like sometimes it feels like so much. And then you like you have to take a break because like otherwise you won't be able to do anything. But then it's like, oh, but I have so much stuff to do. Like, what if I'm not doing it well enough? And it's like that anxiety. And I think everyone goes through that to some extent. Um, it's just like, for me, at least like as smob and like sitting on this, like sitting in this meeting, like I'm always like in every single meeting I've been in, it's been like, am I representing the students? Like, is it okay for me to just like, like, like I've, what I've been saying recently to things that I don't know is just that I, like, I have to learn more about them because I don't know everything. And th there's this huge, like imposter syndrome that like, I have to know everything, which is just not something that's like real. Like you can't know everything and I'm super willing to learn about as much as I possibly can um, and learn about how to be a better advocate and learn how to be, you know, a better smob, hopefully. Um, 
but what I can do is come with authenticity, come with who I am as a small candidate, come with who I am as a person, and promise to take that on the board of education. Mm. Well, props to you for taking on this uh, stressful task. <laughs> and uh, as we come to a close, do you have uh, any parting words, advice, statement? Um, oh, thank you guys so much for hearing me talk about, you know, my my goals as SMOB, who I am as a person, and all of the emotions that have come with this entire process. Um, this is something that I can promise I'm putting my heart and soul into. This is something that I know I'm doing it for you guys. I'm not doing it. I want to make sure that I'm, I'm fighting for you, that I'm taking your voices. And I've said this, I think I've said this three times on the podcast already, um, but I want to make sure that I'm taking your voices with mine because I see your power. I hear your experiences. I know that we have a lot to do to fight for change and I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to fight for that. I'm ready to fight for you and to push for you because you deserve a system that, that hears you and that represents you and you deserve a smob that will do the exact same and even more. And I'm super, super excited to hopefully have that opportunity to represent you on a much larger scale, to to go to the board with these really, really amazing ideas and to take your voices with my own, to take your experiences, to take my experiences and be able to turn that into policy that we actually see happen and real long lasting change. So um, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you so much for being here for being the amazing students that you are. I cannot wait to meet as many of you as I possibly can um, because you are power and you are where my passion for SMOB comes from. Um, so thank you for that. Um, election day is on March 17th. So that's super soon. Um, uh, hopefully, you know, make sure that you cast your ballots. The voting form is on the BCPS website, um, but also anything that you ever really need, make sure to check out my Instagram at roa 4 smob the number four. Um, and that has all the information that I, you know, just mentioned in post forum about my platform, about who I am, my speech is on there. Um, and also the voting forum will be on there. So make sure you stay updated, um, and, you know, educate yourself as much as you can about this process so that you can make a decision on March 17th for who you want to be your next BCPS student member of the board. Well, uh, thank you for, uh sitting down having a chat uh and you heard what what was it march 17 march 17th vote it, yes it's important <laughs> it uh, is it's so important and i cannot wait to see your power in those ballots and getting as many students to vote as possible um because your voice and your vote is so so powerful and I'm so excited to to see how to see the outcome of the election and also to see your voice and your power. All right. Thank you. Uh, and uh, yeah. Uh, remember, vote. Vote, vote, vote. It's important. Yes, vote. Thanks, Owen, so much for having me. Thank you so much, Pikesville, for letting me be here at the podcast. And I'm I'm so excited to to hear more from you guys. As we close out this episode, I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. I also want to thank Zaruk, Ahmad, Kia, and Christopher for sharing their experiences on the wrestling team this year. 
Thank you to Masa Far from Towson High School and Roa Hassan from Perry Hall for sharing their platforms for election to become our student member of the board. If you want to reach out to Masa, her Instagram is at Masa for Smob. That would be M A S A H for the number four S M O B. Masa for Smob. And you can reach out to Roa at Roa for Smob. R O A H for S M O B. Big thanks go out to Aaron Samuels for creating the original music for our podcast. Check back in in a few weeks for the next episode. And until then, stay possum, Pikesville.